Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Talk the Plank, a Pittsburgh Pirates podcast on SB Nation's Bucks Dugout. Episode 88 of our weekly podcast. I'm Jake Slobodnik piloting the 747 tonight. Nathan, well, he caught on to whatever's going around the state of Pennsylvania. It's a little bit of a, a bug that's going around. We wish him a speedy recovery, and hopefully he's back next week. That's actually what kept us from recording last week. I fell down with the flu, so um, making its way around here. Uh, Bucks dug out. Again, we wish Nathan a speedy recovery and hope he's back on with us next week. Uh, but I'm joined today by staff member Austin Bechtold. Uh, he just wrapped up uh, covering the Robert Morris game, but he was able to uh, share some time with us here tonight. Austin, good to have you on board tonight. Yeah, great to be with you, Jake. Finally, I make my appearance on the podcast. Uh, hopefully it doesn't become like a third time's the charm thing where the bug gets to me, but um, <laughs> it, it's great to talk with you as always, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I forget, weren't you on an episode before? Is this your first time? This is the first one. Oh my God. All right. So this is a really special occasion. Um, what's funny is, and then we're not going to get too sidetracked here already on the show, but Austin and I actually met up this past summer for the first time at a Pirates game. It was a pretty good night. Pirates didn't win, all, unfortunately, but when do they nowadays? But it was good to finally meet Austin in person. But Austin, we are joined tonight by one of the big faces around Pirates Twitter and uh, one of the few optimistic fans that are out there. But he will tell you how it is, no matter what, no matter what uh, way the pendulum swings in terms of the Pirates, whether it's a good front office signing, good performance, bad performance, what have you. It doesn't matter. He's still got a you know an optimistic outlook to things, and uh, he's really grown over the course of Twitter. He's uh, you know become really synonymous in terms of some reporting. He's been on the you know he's been he's had a helping hand in breaking some news for the Pirates the past couple of years, and we're glad to be joined by uh, Cody Duncan. He's part of the fan sided blog Rum Bunter, who covers the Pirates as well. And he's also an occasional guest on Fox Sports 104.1 FM, where he talks uh, Pirates baseball as well. Uh, but I'm sure all of our listeners know exactly who Cody is. Uh, but Cody, first of all, man, on behalf of all of us, I want to thank you so much for talking the plank with us tonight. The floor is yours. I just want to give you a bit of some, a bit of a time to just sort of introduce the crowd to who Cody Duncan really is. Who is the man behind the Twitter account? I appreciate it, Jake, for having me. Um, I always, uh, always enjoy talking pirates no matter what. Um, so anytime, you know, somebody asks me to join a podcast and talk about them, I'm more than willing to do so. So thanks for having me again. Um, yeah. Uh, most people know who I am if they, you know, have, if they follow the pirates and, uh, you know, have a Twitter account, but, uh, just a little bit about me, you know, I, uh, I grew up a little bit North of, uh, of Pittsburgh, probably about an hour or so North, uh, became a fan almost instantly, probably about four or five years old. Went to my first game in uh, 2003 River Stadium, actually. Um, and uh, it was against the Cardinals. I've told the story a few times, uh, but uh, we lost 18 to five. Um, but that was my first uh, first action I've ever seen with Mark McGuire. Uh, that series alone, I think he had three or four home runs. Um, the game that I went to, I remember we walked him three times uh, intentionally. Uh, so that just shows you, you know, um, how good that guy was back in the day. But, yeah, that kind of gave me, a, you know, showed me uh, and made me fall in love, I guess, with the, the, the Pirates. And uh, that's, that's why I'm here now. 
it's always good when you can remember um, sort of the details from your first pirate game. I mean, we're in 2022 now, and you said the first game that you attended was back in Three Rivers Stadium back in 2000, and you remembered pretty much every detail about that game, the score, some notable guys that were there. Uh, so it just goes to show, though, for those who are listening, you know, sort of the breadth of knowledge that Cody possesses in terms of you know what he can remember, some things that he knows about the Pirates, and uh, just sort of where his you know knowledge base sort of is with the organization. But uh, you know, Cody, I gotta. I think we would be remiss if we didn't start here in terms of, you know, what you're doing today. Um, you're, you're on Twitter and, you know, you, you almost you really had uh, you lived the story of from humble beginnings, that is. And what I mean by that is um, you're somebody who you know started your Twitter account. You had to find your footing uh, in the sports realm somehow. A lot of people like myself sort of resorted to you know, joining in with the crowd, following their ideologies, but you really built a little bit of a foundation for yourself uh, being an optimist for the Pirates and, you know, wanting to be that guy that breaks news. Can you just sort of, about, sort of talk about your rise to fame on Twitter a little bit? Yeah, so uh, my, my Twitter account, uh, I made it in 2014, but it was basically dormant. Um, you know, I didn't really use it until probably – I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding you, probably 2021 when I started this account. Um, and the reason why I, I started the account is it kind of, I always had a, a passion for the Pirates and I, I wanted to share my knowledge uh, that I had with the Pirates. And then obviously, you know, the best way to do that is on Twitter because there's so many fans out on this, this social media platform. So I decided to, um, you know, I, like you said, I'm an optimistic uh, Pirates fan, but I'm also I also tell it like it is. But in the beginning, you know, my my account was actually more so um, of the rebuild of what Ben Sherrington was was doing. So I was mostly posting, uh, you know, uh, prospect videos. My my account actually wasn't even my name until I decided to join Rum Bunter uh, about a year and a half ago. It was actually Pirates Prospect Talk. That's where um, maybe a lot of people used to know me from. But I, I mostly just posted, uh, you know, up, uh, you know, prospect videos of maybe some players that um, some fans have not heard of that they can keep an eye of on and maybe, uh, you know, stuff like that. So just basically one of the, you know, talk about the rebuild that Ben Sherrington was doing. It kind of blossomed in, into something that I didn't think was actually going to be possible uh, where I, you know, uh, started writing. Um, I started getting, uh, you know, some, uh, some sources Obviously, um, that you mentioned before, I started getting sources that, you know, some some uh, agents and, and whatnot uh, got in contact with me. And it kind of just kind of fell into fell into where I am now. Um, and uh, I, I don't regret any of it. I know there's, you know, some tweets that probably are a little bit outlandish at times, um, especially in the past. I don't think I, I post too many um too many things nowadays that are too controversial, controversial, excuse me. Uh, but in the, you know, and maybe in the beginning I, I did a little bit, but now I've kind of, um, I'm kind of more neutral now. I am optimistic, still always be optimistic of what they're doing, but I, I'm definitely more neutral than what I used to be. And uh, hopefully that, um, you know, 
people enjoy what I, uh, uh, you know, put out there. So, Cody, how do you think some of that criticism and, you know, it came with a lot of praise as well from people. How do you think that molded you into the spot you are now? Were you always somebody who wanted to pre- to pursue journalism or broadcasting or whatever it might be? Or is this just something that with the prospect videos fell into your lap and you're really enjoying? Well, that's funny that you said that. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to. I always thought social media was a great platform for anybody that wanted to um, get their name out there. And um, I w- I'm not going to mention what <laughs> I'm not going to mention what this account was or anything like that. But, you know, before I even did this, I was actually pretty successful on YouTube. The, the YouTube channel is is um, I, I don't have it anymore. I've, I've made all the pro- videos private, but I used to actually and I was actually had a pretty big following there back in the day. I would say from about 2014 to 2016 or 17, um, where I actually gave out fantasy football advice and baseball. Um, and I grew a big, big following there. So I just, you know, and then it, it kind of translated, obviously it was, it's a lot different because I don't talk about fantasy, uh, sports on, on Twitter. I just mainly talk about the pirates, but you know, it's kind of related to in a sense where, you know, if you want to gross, if you want to grow in any um, social media platform and, and, and express your voice or opinions, uh, you can do so. Um, so. Not just me. And obviously, like you said, you get a lot of critics, but you get a, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of criticism comes your way when, uh, when you have, you know, when you start to grow, no matter what, you're going to have haters and you're going to also have people that really enjoy what you uh, what you have to say. And that's, that's what keeps me going. I, uh, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty of people that dis dislike, maybe not even dislike me, but maybe just disagree with what I have to say, or maybe it can be aggravating to them at times. And that, trust me, I understand. I, I, uh, there's plenty of accounts out there that I find very, you know, frustrating to, to, you know, read their opinions, but I at least respect them to, respect them because they they're not afraid to voice their opinions and that's 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 the respect that i have for everybody you know even uh, andrew filipponi you know may you know for instance sometimes what he po- posts you know it can be aggravating and be like okay maybe it's just clickbait but maybe you know we don't know what he actually feels if that's what he actually feels you know you got to respect him to know that there are going to be people that attack him but there's also going to be people that you know, agree with him and enjoy what he has to say. And that, that follows to what, you know, why I do this because I get a lot of DMS and just a lot of comments as well. Um, just saying they love what I, what I have to say and that keep up the good work. And, you know, that out that, um, you know, that's, that's better. I, I enjoy that. And that oversees, you know, the negative comments that I, that I get because, you know, that's, that's why I made this account in the first place and wanted to get in this, this platform, um, especially in the, in, in, with the pirates, because I wanted to voice my opinion. I wanted to enjoy talking to people about, um, the things that I have, uh, I'm passionate for. And that's obviously the pirates. And then obviously, like I said, it grew a little bit more than what I thought it was going to be. And I don't plan on stopping now. Um, it's just, it's just something I really, really enjoy doing. Now, when you say, when you ask if, uh, you know, journalism was something I, I had in mind. 
I'll go back into where I said, you know, when I made that YouTube account, it, I've never really wanted to get into journalism at first. I, I graduated um, from actually I graduated from Edinburgh University, but I did not graduate from it with a journalism degree. Uh, but, you know, it was always something I like I said, it was always something I had a passion for. So, you know, if something uh, if something would grow from you know, my passion or something would develop from my passion and what, what it kind of has with rum bunter, then I, you know, I was going to take advantage of that opportunity. And I've kind of, I've kind of learned as, uh, as the years gone by, uh, writing articles and learning the, uh, the do's and do nots. Um, so it's taken a lot, it's taken a lot for me to, um, get the full knowledge of how journalism works. I'm not perfect at it. I, uh, you know, and especially when it comes to, uh, you know, certain things, but I, 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 I'm enjoying the process. That's for sure. I don't think there's ever like maybe a perfect way to journalism. I think nowadays it's more or less, you know, I, I guess finding your right voice and not saying the wrong thing. So, and I may, Austin, maybe you can even attest to this, um, whenever you, if you want to chime in at some point, but um, I feel like there's more of a negative downward or negative spin on journalism nowadays, whether it is from, you know, maybe a professional standpoint, like say Andrew Filipponi, who's on, you know, the Pittsburgh uh, sports radio stations, um, 93.7, the fan especially. And, uh, you know, maybe down and it boils down to the smaller guys like us. And Cody, I mean, I don't want to focus on all the negative, but I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this. Of course. But, no, that's fine. The way that you report, and I don't say that subjectively in terms of you, I use you generally. Um, speaking on behalf of all of us, we are smaller media. We're podcasts, blogs, what have you. We're just trying to make a, make a statement out there and put our voices out there. But yet it draws the ire of some of the bigger dogs out there who have done this for a while. And, I mean, you've had your fair share of this with, uh, and I, and I hate saying his name because we're not trying to promote him, but Mark Madden, um, this, this so-called super genius seems to have, you know, his eye out for you, especially. And it's it, what's weird about him and the way he does things is that, you know, you don't have to tag him in anything because looking at your tweets and this isn't, you know, to go down your whole tweet history, but I just want to point out these examples you don't even have to tweet at him. You just say his name. And it's almost like he searches up his name and then just points you out or his cronies tip him off, uh, tip, tip him off or tip you off to him. And then, you know, he like just goes on this spastic ratio fest. And uh, it, I guess this is like a two parter for me. How hard is it to control that sort of, you know, negative criticism that you receive from Mark Madden? And in a way, do you ever think about it like, you know, maybe I have one up on him. Maybe he's just jealous because, you know, I'm doing all of this work and yet nobody believes a lick of what he says. I mean, for the God's sakes, he's got a sports talk show on an alternative rock station, which is so out of place. So they don't even want to put him on the actual sports talk radio stations because his opinions are just so outlandish. Do you ever think about that? I mean, sometimes I do, but I, you know, everybody knows who Mark Madden is and what his, you know, his, um, his knack is on Twitter. It's, you know, it's, he loves to, you know, kind of be basically a troll to anyone and everyone, but specifically maybe, you know, up and coming 
um, media outlets. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he start, you know, he's, he's been attacking me lately, especially on certain things, you know, anything that I might post, like he takes a lot of things I say out of context. I think a lot of people do as well, just to give an idea or give you an example. Um, you know, I just, you know, I think this might've been a month ago or, or something like that, that I said that the pirates should go out and, um, they should, like I said, I didn't say they would, but I said they should go out and sign Cody Bellinger if they were going to trade Brian Reynolds. But a lot of people and uh, took that out of context, saying that that I think they will sign Cody Bellinger, and that um, and he 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 also said, you know, he he uh, would requote me on a lot of things. It didn't even matter. It didn't even that it might have not even pertained to the Cody Bellinger. Uh, it might have not even pertained to Cody Bellinger that I was tweeting about. And he would requote and basically say, and how, you know, the, I thought you said the pirates are going to sign Cody Bellinger. Like that's the thing. Like, and then obviously he probably, he probably said it in a little bit meaner, you know, in a meaner way. And he, you know, he is very demeaning on Twitter, especially to me, he calls me names a lot. I definitely refrain to uh, on calling anybody names. I just don't think it's professional. Um, you know, and, but he obviously does not care, uh, most recently, you know, I, I think I mentioned, uh, let's just, let's just, uh, talk about the most, or the most previous tweet that he, uh, he messaged me about, or excuse me, requoted me. I just basically said, do you think, you know, Brian Reynolds requesting a trade kind of inspired the front office to, you know, to, and I put in quotations to compete in twenty. 23 to show that they at least pretend to care now what did he say he basically you know he said you call this an off season trying to compete you're the biggest clueless fanboy you know cuss word and you know he got his you know he got his uh his likes his like you say cronies to comment into it but you know and i was finally i was finally uh you know a lot of the time I try to ignore what he says or even, you know, most people that are negative, I try to ignore. But sometimes, you know, you have to stick up for yourself. And I, you know, I will be at Rivers Casino tomorrow. And I just basically told him, I said, hey, I'll be on at, I'll be at Rivers on Friday because, you know, he's always on his show is a lot. Oh, a lot of the time his shows on uh, at the casino on Friday. So I basically said, hey, I'll be at Rivers on Friday you know, come by and say it to my face and we can debate about the pirates, you know? So, uh, you know, and then he obviously went back to his stick where, you know, I'm a nobody and he, I, he would never have me on his show because no one knows who I am. <laughs> so, you know, that's just the way it goes. You know, I think just from the, you know, the past couple of years of, of being on Twitter and dealing with a lot of um, hateful comments and whatnot, it kind of, you kind of get a, and I'm sure you deal with this too. Um, you, you run a lot of, you run a couple big accounts, um, Jake. So you, you probably have to deal with this as well where, you know, you, you deal with a lot of hate, but you you get so used to it that you kind of just block it out. Yeah. And you're, you're, you hit the nail right on the head. And um, I do run a couple big accounts and we do run into this controversy with, 
you know, a lot of people calling us out on things. But I also want to give the mic over to Austin, too, to sort of maybe comment on this, because he's also involved. In, in fact, he's actually in the nucleus of, you know, all these controversial things. It, you know, he works, I believe, at Austin, you work with like guys like Pony and Chris Muller and all those guys. So there's got to be some, you know, controversy there, too. Yeah, I saw Pony today, actually, at work. Um, I produced for KDKA Radio. And, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that there is a difference, um, you know, between journalism and what they're doing at the fan or at the X. And, you know, you know, Mark Madden has been the guy who he's been the leading voice in commentary sports, sports talk radio for generations. I mean, he was the guy before the fan was even around that really captivated audiences and you know he writes for the trib as a columnist and you know andrew villaponi doesn't write anything uh you know he just he does his talk show he has a national show he does some things with FanDuel and stuff like that so a lot of the what those guys are doing with their talk shows it's a lot of commentary uh you know chris Muller writes for the beaver county times he writes for a couple of places a lot of guys that do commentary work for the fan or you know they're hosting shows or whatnot also have commentary jobs or if they're part-time hosts sometimes they're reporters and stuff like that so there is a difference between the root foundation of what journalism is between whether you're just throwing out names, whether you're one of my buddies, Noah Hiles, writing about pit football and basketball for the Post-Gazette, or whether you're Alex Stump writing about the Pirates for DK Pittsburgh Sports, or compared to if you were an Andrew Filippone or you're a Chris Muller or a Chris Mack, a Colin Dunlap, where a lot of those guys started out in journalism, but now it's you know, they do a lot of commentary work. So, you know, I, I can't really state why Mark Madden is the way he is with gaining, you know, the type of notoriety on Twitter for calling as many people out or not, but he still is able to gain a big audience, which is kind of odd. I mean, I, I, am, I agree with Cody on the name calling, you know, not being appropriate, but that's part of his niche. That's part of what he's known for. And just overall in the journalism realm, I think what we're doing in trying to establish ourselves um, I know, you know, Jake and I in our mid to, you know, younger 20s trying to just figure everything out. I mean, I still got a semester of college left. Um, it, it's a little bit different when you have the perspective of where we are compared to him. And I think that that's hard for us to see at this point. And I don't think anybody should try to excuse Mark Madden for name calling or anything. Um, and I think a lot of the times when he calls people out, it's, unnecessary I, I am intrigued to see cody if you do say anything at the casino if he does respond to you at all even if it's just off air off camera or just any type of remark yeah no it will be interesting if, if i do see him i would i will go i would go up to you know introduce myself now I, like i said i'd be in you know i'd do it in a professional manner i don't know what he would do but um you know i would love to be on his show i you know, <clears throat> a little bit of me, you know, we obviously talked, you know, about journalism and whatnot. But, you know, and I do a little bit of journalism on my on my Twitter. And but for the most part, I kind of consider myself more of what, you know, you know, Filipponi uh, does. Like he commentates on sports uh, specifically for him, Steelers. But me with the Pirates, like I do a little bit of you know, like I said, a little bit of writing, a little bit of journalism type stuff, but I also just like 
to voice my opinion. Um, and you know, a lot of people, I, I just don't think a lot of people, um, understand that. I think, I think that might be a new age journalism where you kind of just because of how social media works now and how you get views and clicks and all that kind of stuff. And I know it might not be the best, you know, might not be what people want, uh, want to, to see, but that's just the way it is now. What do you guys think? Right. You know, the, the phrase is thrown out there all the time. Print is a dying medium. And now I'm not going to condone that is true, but everything has definitely shifted to more of a digital age. And whether it be writers having to create new audiences on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it might be, you're starting to see more writers, more broadcasters start to use Facebook. I mean, Bob Pompiani is on TikTok and has grown his audience by so much, especially in younger and younger audiences. So I think you're, you're right in the point where you need to do different things. I wonder if part of it as well, though, for people in commentary, I wonder if they think people in journalism or people in blogs are kind of stepping on their toes when they throw out opinions, which I don't think that they should have that opinion because they have a much bigger platform. But I, I do wonder, and I haven't really asked anybody that at the radio station, if that might be the case. And I'll, I'll sort of piggyback on that a little bit. I feel like there is this new wave of journalistic media, I would say. Um, I don't want to get too technical with it because, you know, I, I'm still very, very new in the business and I, you know, I don't know the full scale of things, but I, I mean, now it just seems like there's more shock value into it. Whereas, you know, accuracy comes second, not saying that accuracy is a completely lost uh, element of it, but it's pretty much like if you have the right thing to say in terms of like, you know, what will spark conversation on social media, then that's, what's really going to drive you and drive your personal stock. And, you know, I, I think that's why, like, individual accounts like mine and maybe Austin's haven't really take, taken off yet because, you know, and, and Cody, I don't know what your thoughts are. And, you know, this will sort of wrap up the subject here and we'll start talking Pirates baseball here in just a little bit. But, um, you know, you know, we're we're sticking to true journalism. We try to, you know, say factual things. We try to put the, you know, put just 110 percent accuracy into what we say. But, you know, shock value, it, you know, we don't try to put too much emphasis on that just because, you know, we don't maybe want to sound like those type of guys that will come out and just say those sorts of things just to gain interest. Because that's not that's not what we want to be known for. And that's not the type of accounts we want to run. We want to be the people that, you know, are sort of true. And Austin brought up Bob Pompiani. And I think he's a great example of who, you know, young and aspiring people getting into the media industry, especially journalistic and, you know, sports journalistic uh, realms. I think he's a perfect model for that because, you know, he's a very likable guy. He doesn't try to bring shock value to too many things and he's accurate. Like how many times do you really see people quote tweeting pomp and saying, Oh, he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's saying. You know, Oh, another bold take from pomp. Like, no, there, a lot of people are in agreement on uh, with him on it. So, uh, I, I guess I have to just agree with, you know, the fact that, um, you know, modern day journalism has taken a much bigger, you know, taken a big turn as to what it was before. And I mean, this is something that was even taught to me when I was in college too. Like this was something that a lot of people expected and knew was on the rise is, you know, journalist, you know, the new shape that journalism has taken. Um, 
I don't know if maybe the right approach is to not so much conform, but embrace it and run with it or maybe sticking true to what you know. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's just a personal philosophy. What can you do best and stick with it? But um, let's, uh, let's start talking about the pirates a little bit, sort of, you know, this is a pirates blog, Cody, you're a pirates insider and a blogger as well. Uh, so, you know, you've heard a lot of things about the pirates. Let's start with some moves that they made uh, in the recent history this past week, actually. Um, they start with, um, the acquisition. We'll start with the acquisition and signing of Jarlene Garcia, left-handed reliever who we waited countless weeks for John Drecker sort of hinted that it was a birth of his child that sort of delayed things a little bit. And then in the same breath, uh, they DFA Bryce Wilson. So, uh, what we'll do for this segment in sort of getting thoughts on these, on these moves I'll hand the mic off to Cody first, and then Austin, if you want to follow in with him, and we'll just do like a brief you know, panel discussion on some of the moves, and then we'll also talk more about this. So, Cody, what are your reactions to Garcia's official signing? What do you think and what do you expect from him this, this coming season? And what's your reaction to Bryce Wilson getting DFA'd? Yeah, so I'll start with Garcia. First off, I'm um, very excited to have him on the, on the roster on this team. Um, he had a decent last er, he had a decent year last year with the Giants. Um, you know, obviously they didn't re-sign him or what did he get DFA'd by the the or by the Giants? I can't remember. I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't Or did he just not get non-tendered? I think he was non-tendered or just a free agent. Okay. So I mean, obviously, if you look at his stats in 2022, you know, he had a, a sub four ERA. In 58 games, he pitched 65 innings, you know, had some pretty good numbers. Um, but the biggest thing that that I take out of it is he's a decent lefty on a team that had no lefties. Okay. So it was it was a need that the Pirates ha- definitely needed to get for, uh, you know, in the offseason. And, you know, he, we got him. He's still young. He's 29 years old. I feel like he's a guy that can uh, – you know, can really help this bullpen out. Um, so I'm, I'm all for the signing. It was great to hear that, uh, you know, that, that during the winter meetings that he was going to sign with the Pirates. Now on the flip side with Bryce Wilson getting DFA'd, I don't know if he's going to get claimed, um, but let's be honest. He was, uh, he's been kind of a, a, a bust. Um, you know, he was traded for, I believe, in the Rich Rodriguez trade, at the deadline um, back in 2021. And since he was here, he's been nothing short of pretty much disappointing. Um, uh, I think he had had a five. I'm looking at his stats right now. He was three and nine in 2022, a 5.52 ERA and 20 games started. I mean, he he started in 20 games, but uh, appeared in 25. He did pitch 115 innings, which is, I guess, respectful. But, uh, you know, his, uh, the opposing batting average was almost 300. It was at 287. Um, he gave up a lot of home runs. He gave up over tw- or he gave up 20 home runs on the season. And that's in PN. I mean, that's that's a guy that's pitching in PNC Park, which is, you know, that's just not good. So. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm perfectly fine with him getting DFA'd. I think it was, you know, it was a bust of a trade and, you know, they, 
I think Ben Sherrington and company knew that they, they made a mistake. It was worth a shot on the trade at the deadline for Rich Rodriguez. Uh, you know, Rodriguez was kind of struggling once the sticky stuff got banned. And, you know, they, they were looking to see if they could get somebody for him. And obviously they, you know, they took a risk on with Bryce Wilson. Um, you know, he's, he was a fourth round pick. He was pretty, he was okay with Atlanta um in 2020 uh but i mean short i mean it was only 15 innings pitched in 2020 with uh with the, the braves but you know it's worth the risk it didn't work out but i'm i'm happy with with both um both of the decisions that the, the pirates made with signing garcia and dfa wilson Austin, what do you think? Yeah, overall, yeah, Jake, I think overall the the moves to sign um, Garcia and just the decision to get rid of Wilson. Wilson was a guy that came in, you thought maybe he'd be able to blossom into a fourth starter at best. He had he didn't have an overcommanding fastball. He was a location guy that never really found his location. He struggled with walks. He didn't really create that type of success that you kind of hoped that he would. Um, I like the Garcia signing. The Pirates need lefties in the bullpen. And, you know, the Pirates addressed left-handed pitching in the rotation as well with Rich Hill, who's going to be 43 to begin the season. And, you know, I, I tweeted that out, and a couple of people were like, oh, he's 42 years old. He's the oldest player in base you would represent. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people – realize how good Rich Hill really has become and has blossomed into. Now, he's not going to be somebody that's a Cy Young candidate, but when you had people in Boston complaining that the Red Sox did not spend the money to retain him, you know, it clearly says something about him where he had, what, like a 4-2-7 ERA. He's not going to overpower you with strikeouts, but he's a guy who has a good idea of the strike zone. I think he's well-remembered by Pirates fans when Josh Harrison hit the walk-off home run in a one nothing game where he had a perfect game through, what, seven innings, a no-hitter through nine, and Harrison ended up walking it off for the Pirates at PNC Park. He provides value. I think Garcia provides value. Wilson just did not do much, completely underwhelmed by what he, he did. But, you know, and just to turn the script a little bit to the starting rotation – where you have Contreras, Mitch Keller definitely locked in. I guess Velasquez, Rich Hill will be there. And you're talking about maybe Oviedo. Does JT Brubaker get moved maybe at the deadline? Luis Ortiz is going to begin in AAA at this point. At least that's the most realistic possibility. Just with the amount of arms that they have at the major league level. I don't recall, at least in the past five, six years, this many arms that you can considerably say or yeah probably major league arms now it's not like they have a bunch of twos and threes they have i mean velasquez is more like a four more like a five oviedo you don't know what you have you think Contreras and mitch keller can be guys in the you know top of the line maybe a two uh, hopefully a one but you just don't know you know brubaker is more of a four so it's more so okay quality than having quantity at the very top of the rotation at least I think Rich Hill provides that and I think being able to sign Garcia helps to lengthen out the bullpen and be able to help Bednar so that Will Crow whose ERA was like 
seven past the eighth inning won't have to pitch in those high leverage situations and can pitch in the six and seven. Yeah. And that sort of ties in another move that the pirates made Austin. You kind of hinted at it already with rich Hill. I'll give my thoughts on Garcia and Wilson uh, just briefly. I like the signing of Garcia. I'm in agreement with there with you guys. Um, obviously we were starving for left-handed help, especially in the bullpen. So I don't see this as an awful move. Um, you know, it's a low risk, high reward type of thing in my eyes, give some nice middle relief on possibly a setup option. If we're ever faced with maybe an all left-handed eighth inning or something like that. Um, but Wilson, it was definitely his time. Uh, Austin sort of alluded to it with all the options that we have for the starting rotation. I mean, I mean we're kind of backloaded into AAA at this point, as you said, with Luis Ortiz most likely starting off there. But again, it's, it's sort of like a wild card as to what the Pirates are really going to do. But one thing's for certain, they, got, they had no room for Bryce Wilson. And Cody, you talked about uh, Wilson being underwhelming, but I, I don't... I don't know if he was if there was much expectation from him from the get-go. Maybe a little expectation from his performance in the 2020 postseason when he acted really, really good and showed maybe glimmer of hope. Um, but I, I mean, we got to think of it this way: 2021 was not a year for the Pirates at all. That was definitely a more of like a okay, what direction are we going to go in year? 2022 was sort of the same way. Maybe building onto it, we're going to see some of the younger guys start to come up. Um, maybe Wilson was just a patsy, if you will, a, a, a rotation patsy. He was thrown in there to eat innings, get us through the year. Uh, he didn't do great at all. He had a, he maybe like a couple glimmers, but that's about it. Had a little stint in the bullpen, which he looked okay with, but not great. Um, if he goes unclaimed, I would not be mad with him being in AAA just as like a very last, last resort in case we have a slew of injuries. Um, maybe making a spot start here and there if we absolutely need him to. Obviously, he wouldn't get my first bet in terms of coming up. But I mean, if he's there at our, you know, at our disposal, and if we're if we're in desperate need of an arm, he's at least there. Um, if he gets claimed, then maybe he can find success somewhere else. But really, there, no matter what you look what you look at it, uh, him leaving the Pirates is a good thing, and it kind of shows a good step in the right direction. Because and Cody, I, I, I'm going to tie into Twitter a little bit. I remember you were sort of speculating who could be DFA'd for Jarlene Garcia, and one of the names that you posed was Travis Swaggerty, and that's rightful because I mean the fact that Swaggerty is getting zero love from Ben Charrington and his regime, it was almost indicative. I mean, he came up, he was added to the 40 man roster, played maybe one game, and then rode the pine for the four more, I believe. Um, so the love isn't there. So it was definitely reasonable, but seeing Wilson go instead of a guy like Swaggerty who can provide some depth in the outfield, I think is a step in the right direction for the Charrington era. Speaking of steps in the right direction, Rich Hill signed a one-year deal as a 42 year old, as Austin said, he's going to be 43 when the year starts, but he's still not bad last year, eight and seven, four, two, seven ERA 0.9 war. It's not great. But for a, a, a young team, you need that veteran leadership in there. Cody, I want to get your thoughts. Why, you know, and, and if it's a it's a two-parter, two-way street. One, if, it, if you like the signing, how beneficial is it that you bring in Rich Hill out of everybody that was out there still on the free agent market? But if you don't like it, then, you know, why is there any way that we can be optimistic about this? Or was this a bad move? I mean, overall, they spent... $8 million on a, on a pitcher um, and in the off season. So 
as a Pirates fan or just a follower of the Pirates, you got to at least be excited on that end where they actually spent money on a, on a player. Um, I think he was the highest, highest uh, paid player this offseason from the Pirates. I, I think he's, I think he got more money than Carlos Santana. So in that perspective, it's a good thing. On the other, on the other side of things, he's a 43 year old, he's going to be a 43 year old pitcher. Um, so we don't really know, you know, if, if, you know, father time is gonna, you know, hit this year for him. I mean, he's since 2014, he has had an ERA or he has, he has had a sub four ERA except, except for 2022. So he has been very, or he's been very efficient as a starting pitcher for the past basically eight years, including last year. I mean, a, a four two seven ERA, like you said, he gave twenty six starts. He, he had one hundred twenty four innings pitched, and you like you said, he is he's a veteran presence that this team desperately needed. And on top of that, he he throws left handed, which this team desperately needed. I think it's going to help out uh, the young rotation that we have um you know he he, he's going to give great insight he's going to you know that all that is good um but this rotation with him with adding him to the rotation i i I just i only see a i only see positives that come out of this because one that takes that might take away vince velasquez out of the rotation i hope it does i hope they keep jt brubaker over uh velasquez as that number five right now since like Austin mentioned, that Luis Ortiz is probably going to start in AAA. If I had to bet my bet, uh, you know, if I had to bet, which I am not a betting man, but if I had to, I would say Ortiz is going to start in AAA. So, you know, then you, so you're looking at a, a rotation that has Mitch Keller. I would say he deserves that number one spot right now. Then you got Roanzi Contreras. You expect him to make, um, you know. You know, you expect him to become that number two, number three type pitcher that you you expect. Uh, you know, you're you're hoping on that second year of his, you know him having a full season in the in the major leagues. And then you got Rich Hill in that in the middle of the lineup, three or four. And I think uh, Oviedo or excuse me, Oviedo um, will be in the mix there as well because I, I have high hopes for Johan Oviedo. Um, you know, he, in the month of September, he had a 3.04 ERA and six starts with the Pirates, 26 innings, uh, 26.2 innings, um, pitched and he only gave up one home run that month. Um, so that was, that was really promising to see. Um, and the month of September, his opponent batting average was 184. Um, so he didn't give up a lot of hits. Uh, he, I think the thing that he needs to work on is his, his control. Um, he was, but if, if he can, if he can develop his control, I think he's going to be a great, um, a great pitcher in this rotation, at least to, to start the season. And then like, like, like you guys said earlier, we have a lot of, um, a lot of good pitching prospects that are going to be in triple A this year that are eventually going to see the major league team. Uh, you got Mike Burroughs. I'm really high on him. You got, like you, like we mentioned earlier, Luis Ortiz. You're going to see him eventually. I don't know if he's going to de- uh, uh, develop a third pitch or not. Um, 
So that, that will be, um, you know, something to keep an eye on. And then on top of that, you got Quinn Priester, which arguably is the, could some people um, think of him as the, the best prospect the Pirates have. So, you know, um, I think the rotation could look really, really different um, by, by the time July gets here. But I do think having Rich Hill added under this rotation is, is a great thing. So I, I'm definitely okay with that signing. Awesome. The only negative, the the only negative probably is that you don't have Luis Ortiz in the actual rotation to begin the year. But when you think of it from a realistic standpoint, service time manipulation, he's barely had any innings in AAA. It, it's 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 just not going to happen at this point. But I mean, that's why if you have Hill and Velasquez, it kind of su- surprises me that they went with both moves when they have younger pitchers that are, are not in the position with service time manipulation, like Oviedo. Or, you know, Keller obviously is way past that. Rowanzi's past that. But just those type of guys, or, or Brubaker. Overall, you know, I don't know if they have as many pitching prospects that you can necessarily look at that are... I think they have good depth pieces. I think Mike Burroughs has definitely emerged. Quinn Priester has definitely got the potential to be a one or a two, I think. He's that type of pitcher who can command the fastball and use his breaking pitches to be able to gain the respect of hitters. But I don't think, at least in comparison to the the type of hitting prospects that the Pirates have. I mean, they have more infielders that they have fingers to count on their hands that they have at their disposal. Like when, when you look at the likes of Pagaro, Gonzalez, um, they really like Jared Triolo and just those guys as well that have the abilities to play pretty well offensively. Who's going to play first base? It might be Andy Rodriguez. But when you, Henry Davis, a catcher, but when you look at the overall pitching aspect of it, it's Burroughs, Ortiz has come out of nowhere, it's Priester, and then that's kind of it. I just don't know if that's enough at this point. And that's why, you know, and it, it's kind of off topic, it's way off subject. But when you're looking at the first overall pick, do you go with Cruz, the bat from LSU, or do you go with the right-handed pitcher from Tennessee who looks like he could flash top of the line potential? So, you know, I think the staff has a lot of a lot of guys that are, you know, more three or fours, but is there anybody that could be a big horse next to Priester? And there's many different avenues that you could take with that. Well, that's uh, sort of a good bridge, Austin, talking about the Pirates' number one pick, and you look at the overall depth, and considering Cody is – uh, you know, he's got a well-versed background in sort of uh, prospect talk, and I want to get your guys' opinions on this. What should the Pirates do with this number one pick that they were so graciously gifted in the uh, first-ever MLB draft lottery? Cody, I'll hand it off to you. Should they go with Cruz, as Austin said, or should they look maybe to a younger arm and maybe bolster that uh, prospect pitching depth a little bit? Yeah, I- I'm going to say don't draft for need, obviously. Um, draft the best player available. And right now, the best player available is Dylan Cruz. Um, so, I mean, obviously that can change. We got, what, seven months until the, <laughs> until the draft or something like that. So It'll change like probably five, six times before we even get to like April. Yeah. So, you know, if we're, if we're going to talk early, um, you know, about the draft, thankfully we got the number one pick. Right now, I think... It, you, you have to go with the best player. And right now the best player, in my opinion, is Dylan Cruz. Um, just he's a five tool type outfielder. And, 
yes, like I said, don't draft for need. But when you're when your need is, you know, well, obviously their their need is pitching, like uh, like Austin said. But they're all they're pitch or they're they're lacking depth in the outfield in the farm system too. Um, so you know, you kind of don't go wrong with either of those choices. But I think Dylan Cruz it, and um, it's just a, in my opinion, I I wouldn't draft. Um, I, I would draft an outfielder over a, a college pitcher, um, just because college pitching typically they, 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 they wear out their arms because that's just, that's just what they do. I mean, you look at the Vandy guys, you know, you got, uh, Walker Bueller was, you know, he's great, but he's going on his second Tommy John. Um, you know, you got, you see, you see the likes of, um, of Jack Leiter, he's dealing with issues, you know, arm issues, elbow issues. And then, you know, uh, Kumar Rocker, same thing. You know, they're, 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 I think, in my opinion, a lot bigger risk of drafting a pitcher number one overall, unless it's a Steven Strasburg type player or, you know, or uh, Garrett Cole. But, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Chase um, Dolander is. Maybe he, he is that type of guy. Maybe he'll show it this year, and maybe you know he he um, overtakes that number one spot that Dylan Cruz currently stands at. But in my opinion, I think it's a no brainer right now. You're going to have to go with Cruz if he's there. Um, I just think it's it's great. Uh, it's a great opportunity to have get that type of player um, at the number one position. And then I think it really matters. Um, you know, obviously we haven't talked about this yet. But I think it's going to depend on if Brian Reynolds gets traded or not, because obviously if he gets traded, there's probably going to be a lot of pitching prospects that come along with, or at least top talented pitching prospects that come along with that trade, or at least that's what they're saying. And if that's the case and you add maybe two or three guys, or maybe, maybe one or two pitching prospects that are ace potential type pitchers, well, that might change things as well where, you know, they, they have, instead of, you know, just Ortiz, Burroughs, and Priester at the top of, you know, your, your, your farm system, where you, like you said, it, there might not be, you know, some true aces in that, you know, in that, in your system. Well, if you bring in one or two guys with the Brian Reynolds, but the potential Ryan, uh, Brian Reynolds trade, well, that's going to change everything where now you got some top guys, um, you know, that, you're not really lacking in the pitching department anymore in the farm system. And, and then, you know, you go with a guy like Dylan Cruz. Yeah. I, I think that it definitely, you don't draft based on need, but did anybody think Termar Johnson was going to be the pick for the pirates? I mean, this upcoming year, this time one year ago, it was, you know, the names was Elijah green that everybody really liked. And then he ended up going fifth to Washington. So you never truly know, who's going to be that guy that takes that step up or if the pirates decide to go under slot like they did with Henry Davis and sign. I think the one pitcher that we, we did not talk about that might have the most potential out of anybody, maybe outside of Priester, Anthony Solomato has been tearing up all of minor league hitters every time that he's taken the mound. And especially as a left-handed pitcher, it's really interesting to see his progression. And it's something that the pirates need and have just have not had since Francisco Liriano in the big leagues a dependable left-hander. But Cody, you mentioned Brian Reynolds. And, you know, I know you're kind of optimistic that they maybe can sign him. And I know Jake has been a little optimistic too. I like Reynolds. I think he's definitely someone that you got to sign if you can. I don't think there's any coming back from, once you put out a public trade request, 
and you address it in the media and the Pirates have to put out a statement. I don't know if there's any way to come back from this, especially when the Pirates have no track record of spending dependable money and giving anybody the farm. I mean, the, the reported deal was above the Cabrian Hayes contract. Well, of course it was. It was $7 million they gave Cabrian Hayes. Brian Reynolds should get double that and maybe more. Are the Pirates going to command that type of money for him? I don't know. And just seeing where everything's starting to fall and where the chips are landing, I want Reynolds to stay with the Pirates. Even if he moves to a corner in the future and you have to put a different outfielder over there in center, it's just something that just continues to plague this team, though, in the offseason that has been shoved under the rug, I think, a little bit because of the new signings that they've had, Jake, that have somewhat enthused some people but also create the same old moan and groans where, oh, they signed a 42-year-old pitcher or, oh, they gave a hype video to Vince Velasquez. Like, why did they give a hype video to Vince Velasquez, by the way? But that's here nor there. Jake, I know you've talked about Reynolds a lot, at least with me, um, in conversation and just overall your thoughts about it. Yeah, and uh, Cody, I'll give you the floor after this. I I just got to say, I'm still optimistic that the Pirates can get something done with Reynolds because, I mean, it's... I hate to fall into that trap of they kind of are building around him, trying to give him a better supporting cast, but I don't want to fall too far into that rabbit hole, but I still feel like there's hope there. I mean, I I feel like Charrington is sort of starting to feel the heat from fans and the public backlash. Like Reynolds is your best player. And if you're trying to keep him along for the near future, if you plan to contend, then you need to sort of appease him and well, not sort of appease him. You need to appease him and, you know, almost give him a blank check and say as many zeros as you want. I don't care. But again, I think we have to take a step back and realize that Charrington's not the one that commands the purse strings. That's all the man upstairs, the the notorious BN who everybody hates. Um, But I'm still optimistic about it. I feel like Reynolds is just aggravated at this point. He might see that there's a little bit more of a supporting cast that can sort of help build around him a little bit. Maybe not be a World Series contending team, but definitely a a non-100 loss team. so I'm going to still hold out that hope until when and if they actually do trade him. Cody, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on the Reynolds things. I know you shared something earlier today that John Morosi said on MLB Network, and that is uh, three teams are interested in the Pirates, Yankees, Mariners, and I believe Padres or Dodgers, one of the two. Um, and the the Mariners are the ones that are the heavy favorites to get them right now. Overall, I got to ask the million-dollar question here. What do you think is going to happen with Brian Reynolds? Yeah, I'm on the, I'm kind of a complete opposite of how you feel. Um, I actually think he is going to get traded. I think, um, and the reason why I think that is, you know, when a player requests a trade, now it, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, but man, does that put a damper into that um, that dugout, you know, with the, the players that may you know, that actually want to be there or, you know, or, you know, it's just going to cause a lot of friction that, that I don't think Ben Sherrington is going to want to deal with. And then on top of that, you have, uh, it was actually the Yankees, Dodgers and Mariners is what John Morosi mentioned um, that are interested in um, Brian Reynolds. Well, you look at those, that farm system and, and in order 
especially, you know, there was, there was room, like we just mentioned earlier that, you know, the pirates are interested in starting, starting pitching or pitching prospects to, to, um, get that trade done if it is going to ever get done. And you look at that and in order, I would say the Mariners, Dodgers, then the Yankees, the Yankees farm system is that they have no pitching anymore. After trying, after signing Frankie Monta or excuse me, trading for Frankie Montas, they get, they got, they got rid of a lot of their top and top pitching prospects with that, um, that trade. So they're, they're very, um, position player heavy on their farm system, you know, with Jason Dominguez, obviously, uh, uh, Anthony Volpe, uh, Oswald Peraza, those type of guys, the way they, I believe that they, that the Yankees take over and get that trade is they have to get rid. They have to, they have to trade all their top, um, position prospects. I think they have to get rid of, uh, or they have to trade their top three or four, uh, position prospects, to outbid the Dodgers or Mariners because the Mariners are like, like you mentioned, um, like I said, that um, John Morosi mentioned that they're the more promising team to get a trade done. And the reason why they think that is because they have the pitching prospects to get it done. Um, I mentioned uh, during the winter meetings, I got uh, some inside information from the Mariners, uh, a guy that's inside the Mariners uh uh, that they they were they're really in on they were really in on Brian Reynolds and the the guy the pitchers that they were mentioning was the get likes of uh, Matt or I believe his name is Matt Brash right that's his first name correct yep uh, and then uh, Emerson Hancock and then I I don't think Kirby was mentioned but it was it was those two pitchers and those two pitchers alone. I as you, you they're going to have to add more to that in my opinion if they want to get a trade done but those two pitchers alone are going to outdo anything the Yankees have to offer in my opinion and like like I said unless they they give up the farm and I don't from what the Yankees do typically they don't like giving away they don't like trading their prospects for some reason even though they you know can afford it I mean they sign the they typically sign the best international uh, uh, free agent every year anyway. So it's like, I don't understand why they, they care about their prospects as much as they do, Expect, even the Dodgers. Um, but, yeah, I just think right now with so much interest, I feel like someone is going to overbid for, for Reynolds and uh, Ben Sherrington, like I said, I don't think he wants to deal with the headache, but even even having him in spring training. Now, I don't think Brian Reynolds is a headache, but I think it's more of the, the media uh, um, and the, the fans and all that that will come into play. If a, a team overbids, he's going to probably pull the trigger and just move on. Uh, you. you I think, in, uh, you know, in, in a lot of fans are not going to like to hear that because obviously Brian Reynolds is, you know, the best player on the team. Um, he might not be. I mean, if he's, uh, I still think O'Neill Cruz is going to overtake him in that spot. I think O'Neill Cruz is going to be the best player. Say, say Reynolds doesn't get traded. I, I actually think uh, Cruz is actually going to be the best player on this team next year. Uh, but uh, besides that fact, regardless, you know, Reynolds right now is the best player. So there's going to be backlash on either, either way. If you trade them, you're going to get backlash. If you keep them, there's going to be a lot of 
headaches that and and um, issues inside that organization that they're going to have to deal with that I don't think Ben Sherrington is going to and, and company and Travis Williams is, is, is going to want to deal with. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but I know there was obviously like like Austin said that there was a there was an offer on the table, but it must have been to the it must have been a. Um, basically a slap in the face um, for him to request a trade almost immediately after uh, they, they offered him that. So um, clearly, like you said, it all starts up um, from the owner. And, you know, I, a lot of people thought I, you know, I was a crony for, for, for the owner, but I'm not, obviously I wrote an article basically telling him, telling him to sell the team. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm not uh, that type of guy. I, I, I do like Ben Sherrington. I do like some of the things he's done. Now he's made some mistakes, uh, but not not every general manager is perfect. So I'm still giving him the benefit of the doubt to see where these prospects that he's drafted and some of these trades and see if they work out. But I think right now, and I mentioned this on my my Twitter that if and when Ben or Brian Reynolds gets traded, it's really going to be my. Um, my my final thoughts of how I feel about Ben Sherrington because if he brings back if this trade actually is going to happen and he brings back you know quantity over quality it's going to be a very big disappointment for sure. Well, I think at the same time we need to we need to realize and acknowledge you know it's so many people and even you know MLB Network made some trades that were underwhelming to in a lot of people's standards, but. I think that 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 trade breakdown analysis website where you can basically you know throw a bunch of names together and try to equal out the total value. I think that has been a negative thing. I think it's been a detriment to a lot of people that follow the Pirates or follow baseball or sports in general in terms of trades because it hypes up and over. I think overvalues what people think the Pirates can get where. You know, maybe the idea is they can get the Yankees top three prospects where realistically, where have we seen that? I mean, it's not like they're trading prime. Uh, who would you, It's not like you're trading prime Aaron Judge right now or you're trading prime Mookie Betts. Brian Reynolds is probably top three center fielder in the game, if not the best center fielder in the National League, at least, you know, switch hitter, solid defensively, underrated defensively. But are they going to command the type of prospect hall that a lot of people want? I think they need to get to top 100s. But anything other than that, is it to be expected? I think it's hoped. But I don't think Ben Sherrington and other general managers look at it that way. And I think that's why it sometimes creates a major letdown, regardless of what they get. The Garrett Cole deal obviously was a major letdown in what they got. Colin Moran, Musgrove was good, but he got completely turned around in San Diego. And some of the other, Michael Feliz, I mean, really? But that was more so a quality over quantity, something you were touching on, uh, or a quantity over quality, something you were touching on earlier, Jake. I just don't want everybody, and I think sometimes with the over-optimism that a lot of people have and a lot of people put out there and portray that they can get three top 100s because that's just probably not going to happen. I think, um, you know, I would typically agree with you but that Dal- Dalton Varsho trade really, really was an eye opener. Yeah, I mean, it, it you, was. You, you know, you got. I didn't. Th- I thought uh, Gabriel Marino 
was untouchable. And then on top of that, you traded him one of your your best prospect essentially, and then you you also trade uh, Lourdes Gariel, uh for for Varsho. And then you know I'm sorry, but I know I got some backlash on this, but Varsho is nowhere near the player Reynolds is. Maybe he will become a, a, the player that Reynolds is, but right now I see so much more value in a guy like Reynolds than I do in, with Varsho. Yes, Varsho can catch, so there's a little bit of versatility there, but, I mean, Reynolds got MVP votes a couple years ago. I mean, he's right. an all-star. You know, that guy is still in his prime, and he's – yes, he had – think about this. He had a down – Reynolds had a down year last year, still hit the most home runs he's hit in his career. So, I mean, and that's him struggling, and that's with a lineup – that historically was literally historically bad. So no one, so he, what could, what, what could Reynolds do? He could, uh, he had no protection in that lineup. So, you know, he had, he batted 262, 27 home runs. I can't, I, that, I don't know all his stats off the top of my, my head, his OPS, uh, OPS plus and all that, but he did that with no protection. Imagine, uh, you know, with a team like the Yankees where he is or the Mariners or Dodgers per se, imagine a team, you know, him on a, a team like that where he has all the protection he needs. He's got all the opportunity he's going to, you know, that he needs uh, at the plate. He's going to, I think he is so undervalued to some of these fans. They're, if he actually does get traded, I think people are going to realize that he might be a top 20 player in this league. I, I truly do. I think the Pirates have kind of, kind of let him down, uh, essentially, with how bad this this, like I said, historically bad lineup they they've been putting out there. It's it, 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 you you can't admit that it's uh, you have to admit that it's uh, it's really hurt. It's got to hurt him in some way. Yeah, and um, just to put some final thoughts on this topic because we are running up to the mark, and we'll get uh, we'll wrap things up here shortly. Uh, just to put a final uh, remark on this conversation, it will take a hefty haul for Reynolds to be dealt. I I know that we have had history with Charrington taking quantity over quality, but I feel like he realizes sort of, you know, how into the hot water he actually is. So he needs to take quality over quantity and, you know, he needs to get top dollar for Brian Reynolds. He can't be, you can't looking for that diamond in the rough lottery prospect maybe top 100 borderline top 50 like he's got to get a premium haul for this yeah but jake do you think do you think jake sorry to interrupt do you think that him as a world series winning general manager actually thinks about that i mean it's not like this is neil huntington who caved into fan pressure in the chris archer deal um hmm. well considering charrington has finished toward the seller uh most of his years especially with boston and only won one championship I it's hard to say because that inconsistency and fluctu you know fluctuation in terms of success, I think is it's it's it creates a gray area because yeah you look at that World Series championship but you also see some of the things that have gone around it, um, <clears throat> and considering some of the moves he's made already, I don't know if I'd really put all my trust in him. I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket, but I mean if if we're at face value and seeing like a premium haul. And he takes it. Okay, maybe I'll trust him a little bit more. I think it really depends. Like you know, like what you and Cody have talked about. 
<clears throat> what he can get back, I think, sort of determines the fanfare, if you will, how they sort of trust him. So, I mean, it's hard to say, in my opinion. You know, I, I, I obviously I'm not in their front office. I can't, you know, say what I would do. But I mean, it's it's hard to tell. But um, hopefully, for the betterment of Pirates fans and to put everybody at ease and sort of help clear things up in terms of what direction the team's going, I hope the Pirates do work something out with him. But I mean, it also sticks in my head a little bit. We got one of the biggest optimists for the Pirates in Cody saying that he doesn't know if he's going to be around much longer. I would, I would uh, sort of hold on to that going forward. You know, it, it takes a lot when, you know, cynical fans like myself say, oh, he's going to be traded. But, you know, you got somebody who's, you know, bleeding black and gold, bleeding Yinzer, saying that he's gone. I don't know. But um it was interesting. It's both of you guys' first time here on the show. Uh, what Nathan and I normally do, and this is sort of what we do to wrap things up. I know it's still way too early, but based off the signings we do, I want to do a little bit of an over-under. Um, last year, we set the bar, I believe, at 62 wins or just a little bit below that. But I want to get your in your uh, quick thoughts here. Over-under, I would say 70 wins for the Pirates. Actually, no, let's, let's up that a little bit. Over under 72 wins for the upcoming season, just based off the signings and players that we have right now. Cody, I'll start with you. All right. Um, in typical optimistic fashion, I'm actually going to say over um, 72 wins. I actually have them projected at 75 this year. That's where I have them. And the reason, uh, the reason why, you know, you got you got um, Carlos Santana signing. You got the uh, uh, G-Man Choi trade. Those are two guys that are going to help tremendously. I think you're going to see Indy Rodriguez eventually get up um, in the major league team, um, being event- the eventual starting catcher. And then you're going to also see guys um, like Nick Gonzalez and Henry Davis up this year, which is, I think is going to help tremendously. You're going you're gonna to have a, uh, as long as he's 100% healthy, you're going to have an O'Neill Cruz up all season. You're going to have, I think, Key Brian Hayes is actually going to benefit even as a right-handed batter, but I think he's going to benefit tremendously off the shift, uh, the band shift. So I think his numbers, you never have to worry about his defense, but I think his offensive numbers are going to be a lot better this year. Um, and then, you know, you got Jack Sawinski in his second year with his type of power that he brings onto the, uh, to the corner outfield position. I mean, he, he was tied for uh, home runs in the NL with Michael Harris last year, I believe, with 19. Uh, maybe, he can, maybe he can show uh, a little bit even more, a little, a little bit more power this year. Um, and then it's, I think it's going to determine, I mean, if Brian Reynolds is here, if he's here, then I'm definitely going to say over around like 75. But if he is gone, um, you know, obviously that's going to that's going to change my opinion. But I'm just saying as of right now, where the team stands right now and the roster that we have on this team, uh, that's where I'm, I currently have them at. And then, like I said, um, with the starting rotation, I think it looks a lot better than last year. Um, and then you guys you got some guys in AAA that are going to be up eventually as well that are going to help this rotation or even help the, the bullpen. Um, so. I do think, um, and then obviously, like I said, Rich Hill with his signing, I think it will help as well. So, yeah, I do think over 72 wins, but not by much. I am also going to take the over. I am somewhat of an optimistic Pirates observer, but I I like to think of myself more as trying to be realistic. And 
75 seems like a decent number. I mean, it really does. And I, I know that they were 100 losses last year. I understand that. I'm not so much excited for the Rich Hill move or the Velazquez move or G-Man Choi or some, anything like that, any of those additions. But I think they're going to be nice pieces that could potentially fit in as veterans that can contribute in their own ways. I'm more so excited because this is the year of the wave. This is Andy Rodriguez's year to debut. Potentially Henry Davis. Cody touched on it. Pagaro is going to be back up after a cup of coffee last year playing in a game. Nick Gonzalez, if he doesn't get hurt for the third, fourth year in a row, should be up. Maybe they get a look at Travis Swaggerty, who has not been provided any opportunity to get consistent major league at-bats. You're going to see potentially Quinn Priester. This is all barring any substantial injuries. But you're going to see the prospects that we've heard about and that Charrington has traded for or drafted for the past four or five years that everybody has been told and proclaimed that there is players that are coming that are going to benefit this team, and these are the guys that are going to do it. And nobody should expect them to come in and light the world on fire and the Pirates win 82, 84 games and make the playoffs. Would that be the best case scenario? Absolutely. Is it actually going to happen? Probably not. But if you can get to 75, 78 would be completely an optimistic point of view. And I don't think they're going to get that far. But it would not surprise me if by the end of July, middle of August, they're contending for the last wild card spot if they're four or five games out of it. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs this year? If you would have asked me three years ago, I would have said, yeah. But the way that they've progressed and you really don't have as much pitching as you really would like, at least at the top of the rotation, which is something I keep coming back to because pitching, pitching, pitching is the thing that wins games. I still think that they have the bats that can come up and be molded. And I think that Reynolds being a part of it definitely helps, but also as a locker room, a clubhouse presence and someone that can teach the nuances to the younger players who, by the way, will have some chemistry with each other by coming up throughout the system together. Gonzalez and Pagaro in the infield have played together pretty much their whole entire careers. Add Davis into the mix last year and the year before that. Now, I don't know where they're going to play all these guys because O'Neill Cruz is probably your shortstop. Will he move off to a different position? That's a topic for another day. Where you're going to play him, who knows? Will Gonzalez play second? Figueroa, where will he be? Henry Davis, catcher, first base for Endy. Who knows? It's too, it's too early to be able to tell all that. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what those young guys will bring to the table and with complimentary pieces like the veteran signings, how much they can especially just mold this team at the beginning of the year. Because if Rich Hill and Velasquez have good starts to the year, G-Man Choi, even Carlos Santana, they're probably gone at the deadline, at least probably half of them. So excited to see also where the team will go after the trade deadline to see where those prospects blossom into and what they become. Well, guys, I appreciate all your insight. Um, I won't give my total just yet just because with me being on it every week, I don't want to bore the audience here. But let's put a mental bookmark in this because when we get closer to the season, I want both of you, if you're willing and able to come back onto the show, we'll talk more about some of the expectations for these young prospects and even some of the veterans that we got on the team, both returning from last year and some of the new faces that we brought on. But guys, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. I appreciate you both joining us here and talk to Plank this week. Uh, Before we sign off here, 
Let's go around. Let's give everybody listening our Twitter handles. Cody, let's start with you, our guest of honor. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Like uh, like I said earlier, uh, definitely will uh, rejoin you um, whenever you'd like to have me. But my Twitter uh, handle, if you haven't followed me already, it's Cody with a K, K-O-D-Y, uh, Duncan, and then P-G-H. It was, yeah, great talking to you guys. Great to... Great to talk to Cody. Didn't really have any conversations much with him before. So good to hear um, just some of your standpoints and point of views and how you've built your following. Um, I'm at Austin R. Bechtold on Twitter. You can find me there. Um, Just, you know, doing a lot of different things. You'll see some pirate stuff. You'll see a lot of uh, play-by-play basketball and football stuff there. You'll see RMU basketball. Uh, You'll see some pit basketball stuff. Um, a lot of different things. Uh, always want to talk to people on there and create conversations. So thanks for having me, Jake. And of course, definitely we'll join you again. And I can't wait. This has been very educational. It's been a very casual and fun conversation. You guys, uh, have made it, you know, you, you guys really carried the weight of it. So I appreciate you both coming on. Uh, so go follow them. If you're tuning into box dugouts, talk to plank, Show them some love, grow their follower counts a little bit, turn your notification bells on for them as well. They have a lot of content coming out. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Radio Jake. Like Austin, I put out a lot of things regarding Bucks Dugout. I put out some things regarding uh, play-by-play commentary, my uh, weekly Gallagher's Line T High School basketball cam shot that's on there as well. Uh, so you can go ahead and follow me, follow all of us, follow Nathan. He's not here today, but he'll be back on next week. But we also want to show him some love. That's Nathan underscore Hirsch on Twitter. And that's spelled H-U-R-S-H. And as always, please follow Bucks Dugout if you aren't already at Bucks Dugout. Check out BucksDugout.com. Austin and I have content on there. Our talented team of writers have stuff on there as well. And subscribe to Talk the Plank. Uh, wherever you may get your podcast, we are very popular on Apple Podcasts, so that's where you can find us as well. But, hey, I want to thank Cody and Austin once again. They made this conversation fun. We'll have them back on before the season starts. We'll talk more Pirates baseball. But until then, for all of us here at Bucks Dugout and for Cody and Austin, my name is Jake Slobodnik. We'll talk to you next time. This has been Talk the Plank, Episode 88 of Pittsburgh Pirates Podcast.